Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, 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 this is the Real Talk SLP podcast, and I'm your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to be here this week. We are going to be talking about something that I'm very passionate about. I love doing social pragmatic therapy, planning it and coming up with engaging ideas for how to serve students who are struggling with this, you know, with social communication. So today I'm going to walk you through just the process that I go through for planning my therapy sessions and then, you know, giving you some ideas for where to start in therapy. If you're feeling overwhelmed with treating, you know, students with social pragmatic disorders, it's okay to feel that way. It's it's a bit overwhelming when you start after you've done the assessment or you're, you know, you're after the IEP, you're sitting there going, okay, there's a lot going on here. Where do I even start? Or where do I head for therapy for the next few months? And and what's going to be the most efficient or effective for the student? I think that's a question I often ask myself, like, how can I make this efficient and effective for all parties involved? And sometimes it's just overwhelmed to, to think through those steps. So I'm going to talk about that and give you a little bit of background on how I approach things and where, and then it might help you with your caseload and your students where there could be some holes or areas that you could fill in the gaps to really make your therapy you know, efficient and, and so that your students make progress with their social communication. So before we jump into this, I just want to remind everybody, we are, we are planning a new speech retreat. It is happening. It's coming up quick. It's coming up March 6th, which is a Saturday, and it is a virtual professional development I guess kind of like a retreat and you can, so you can watch, you know, all day long on your couch, on your bed, outside, wherever you want to go. And it's all virtual. It's from 7 a.m. Pacific standard time to 1 15 p.m. Pacific standard time. I had to look at my notes because we have like all the different time zones, right? And what's really fun about our event is not only do you get CMH units, but you're also going to get lots of different speakers throughout the day. So we fill up the day with Hallie, Natalie, myself, and Maureen. And then we've asked four guest speakers to talk on different topics like stuttering, praxia, you know, pretend play and speech therapy. We have Kara Walton talking about cultural mindset and how we can jumpstart that in our practices. So we, we like to give you a wide variety of topics to to learn about. And if you get your ticket before February 1st, you also get an early bird swag box delivered to your door. And it's filled with goodies. And it's just kind of like that treat yourself moment where you're like, I got a box delivered to my house. And it's really fun to open the box. And we fill it with some really fun speechy goodies for you. And just to, just to remind you, 
that you are a Rockstar SLP and that you are appreciated. And so our whole day is always filled with fun. We have a photo booth and all sorts of stuff just to make learning a little bit more engaging and fun for us. I mean, we're adults, but you know what? I learn better when I'm engaged too, right? So grab your ticket at www.speechretreat.com. And I can't wait to see you there. I'm going to be talking about using conversation scripts with, with autism, with students with autism. So I, I look forward to seeing you there. So let's, let's jump in to how to plan for your social pragmatic therapy. So a couple of things we, I want to rewind things a little bit and just talk about social communication and what some of the components of it are. Okay. So there is social interaction and that really is a person's ability to be socially competent with peers that they're able to code switch between when they're talking to their principal versus talking to their friends, you know, the cultural and gender influences that they may come across and how they could maybe say one thing to one group, but maybe in a different group, you know, they know certain things about their cult, the cultural dynamics. And so they're going to phrase things differently. So being able to switch all that, right. And then just having conflict resolution. So this is really how they're interacting with the people around them in their, in their world and out in the public, you know, with their friends and family. And then we have social cognition, and this is a person's ability to have theory of mind their ability to emotionally comprehend situations and know how people are feeling or what the vibe is of the situation. There's their ability to regulate and have executive functioning and being able to make inferences. So those are two kind of separate things in a way. And I really liked this quote about social competence because we're trying to you know, improve a, a child's social cognition so that they can have better social interactions. And social competence is the ability to establish and maintain successful social relationships that they'll be able to gain peer acceptance, initiate and maintain friendships and determine negative relationships. So essentially we are teaching social skills, which is a set of specific behaviors needed to competently engage in social situations. And in essence, we're teaching more than just social skills. Okay. We're trying to teach social competence so that our students can be able to build relationships and they can respond in an empathetic way. So if we're only teaching how to be in social interactions without looking at some of that social cognition piece and, and what could be some of those underlying things that they need to work on to help them be better at social interactions, we're going to be missing some things in our therapy because we don't want to just teach those skills because we've seen those kids where you teach them the skill and then they maybe can do it in the speech room and then they leave your room and they don't know how to use it out in, you know, quote unquote, the real world, you know, in the natural settings. So, you know, our therapy room is a great place to start, but then we're also going to be needing to look at how we can expand that out of our speech room. And I'm going to go into that in a little bit. So 
first of all, what I like to think about or I, what I like to try to observe or ask the student or the teachers or the parents, and I, or I like to go out on the playground and watch what's going on. But how do deficits in social competence affect our students? And, you know, raise your hand if you're like, oh, yeah, I have this kid. Yeah, he struggles with initiating and maintaining friendships. Oh, yeah, he, he doesn't know how to end friendships. And he's always playing with kids that, he, you know, they're not the best influence or healthy. You know, this social competence deficits, it impacts kids being able to follow the unspoken social rules, asking for help or clarification on an assignment or problem solving. They don't, they may struggle with advocating for their grades or assignments or their feelings. You know, as they get older, they're not going to know how to get and keep a job because they're, they're going to struggle with navigating all the conversational pieces, the emotional, you know, the nonverbal skills that they see. So they're going to have struggles with being flexible to unpredictable changes, you know, having conversations about other people's interests and repairing conversations when they failed. And then also being able to use all those nonverbal cues of body language, tone of voice, words, and actions. And so often, you know, we see kids, I've seen kids where I'm like, oh my gosh, they were, they were so close, but all they did was they said maybe the wrong words or they use the wrong tone of voice and then they just completely, you know, botched the interaction, right? <laughs> and this is what our kids are dealing with. And so the more we can get a better sense of where the breakdowns are happening, the better we're going to be able to plan for our social skill groups. So here's some things that I want us to think about when we're thinking about social skills. And this is this really helped me with planning because it gave me like three category groups. And then I was able to look and say, okay, well, how does the student do in this area? Okay, they're doing pretty good with that. And they're really showing deficits in this area. So that's how we can proceed, you know, what can I do for therapy in that? And so the three areas are acquisition deficits. So this really means like they're lacking the knowledge for the needed social skill. They don't know the words to use. They don't know what to do, you know, so this is an acquisition. We need to start teaching them the vocabulary, showing them what is expected and unexpected in these situations, what words they're supposed to use, you know, so this is that real direct instruction. They're coming to your speech room and you are showing them the social skill and the knowledge for what they need to do for that skill that, oh, when you get your hands dirty, oh, a light bulb needs to go off. I need to raise my hand for help, you know, or I need to raise my hand to go to the bathroom to go wash my hands or, you know, showing them all the skills needed to, to perform that social skill. And then we have performance deficits. And so those are the students where they have the knowledge of the skill, but they're really failing to use the skill in natural social situations. And so a lot of times these will be the kids that you know, they passed all your standardized assessments and you're like, well, they know what to say and do, but the teacher keeps telling you like, no, 
at recess, this student is walking around the perimeter the whole time or is getting in fights with kids and, you know, and, and they'll give you the, the long list and you're going, well, but the test says he's fine. He's doing great. And so performance deficits, if you're seeing those kind of deficits, that means we really need to increase the opportunity to practice in a structured naturalistic situation. So this would, a lot of times, a good example for this would be like role-playing, uh, video modeling, mapping out conversation scripts or mapping out what they're supposed to do in situations and then practicing those and then, you know, having them practice it in the classroom or at the lunch table, those kinds of things. And then the last one is fluency deficits. So this is when students don't have enough exposure to practice the social skill or they're not around students modeling the social behavior. And so what I found the most with fluency deficits were a lot of my students that were in self-contained classrooms where they don't have typical peer models or they haven't had an opportunity to practice working collaboratively in a group because they're not in a general education classroom. So their exposure to practicing this or to even watching what students are doing in the general education classroom isn't happening. So they're not getting that practice. And this is a good you know, if you're seeing that with your students, you know what that means? It means doing direct pull-out speech therapy is probably not the best use of your time. We need to start looking, can this child go into the general education classroom more? Can, you know, can we provide some co-teaching where you're going into the classroom with the student or you're coaching the general education classroom to, to, to be like, hey, can this kid come in your class? Or you're doing therapy out on the playground or at PE or in the lunchroom because you want to create more times or you're coaching the the staff on how to provide more opportunities. So I hope that makes sense. So if you have a student that's kind of going, you're going, well, they have acquisition deficits, performance deficits, fluency deficits. They got everything going on right now. This tells you that you're going to be able to go and start therapy at the acquisition stage. And that's a great place to start, right? And as they start making progress with that, you're going to be able to then go to the performance skill set, right? And then you'll be able to tackle those fluency things. So one of the things that I like to do is I also like to kind of create a social skills hierarchy or, you know, where I want to start and then where I'm going to, where I'm going to build. So maybe, you know, all year long, I know I really want to target that people have thoughts about us and that that's all based on our expected and unexpected behaviors. So th that's going to be the foundation that I'm going to always be targeting throughout the whole year. But I really want to establish that at the beginning of the year so that I can build on that and bridge to other skills and topics or things that the student needs to work on. That is how... I make a little hierarchy. And when I have a hierarchy, I know that maybe for a month, I'm really going to hit hard. People have thoughts about us. And they have thoughts about us when we have expected behaviors and unexpected behaviors. And then I'm going to break that down into, okay, we are going to talk about expected behaviors and unexpected behaviors 
on the playground and what are people thinking about us then? And then the next week, I'm going to say, remember when we do something expected, people have a good thought about us, you know, and when they do something unexpected, they have a not so good thought about us. And I'm going to continue to expand on that acquisition piece for maybe two or three weeks where we're charting out the expected and unexpected behaviors in different settings around the school. And as I feel like the child has the vocabulary of expected and unexpected and that people have good thoughts and not so good thoughts, then maybe I'm going to start having us role play some situations after that. Or maybe we're going to start playing a game and I'm going to see, okay, let's see how they perform with exhibiting the expected and unexpected behaviors in a performance type naturalistic situation. And then we're going to stay there maybe for two or three weeks because we're still working through that. And then as they get better with that, that understanding, the acquisition and performance, then I'm going to look and see how can I create some fluency opportunities, some more frequent opportunities, right? So here's an example of a social skill hierarchy. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple examples. So here's one of them. Joint attention. We all know that our kids that are really limited with joint attention, this is sometimes a really basic starting point. Joint attention is is key for, you know, turn taking and conversation and being able to think about what someone else is thinking about. So maybe I'm going to focus on joint attention and really set the stage for that. And then, you know, of course I'm going to incorporate other things, but my real focus is going to be joint attention. And then we start working on initiating requests and comments, building turn taking, greetings, back and forth in conversation, asking questions and follow-up questions, then teaching comments, nonverbal cues, body language, tone of voice, facial expressions, and then we're going to move to social inferencing. So as you could see with that hierarchy, it started at kind of like a foundational place and it slowly, slowly built to a place where we're then working on more, by the end of it, more performance based things. And then we can also look at fluency opportunities for the child to work on some of those, those higher skills. Here's another example of, of a social skills hierarchy. You're going to start with people have thoughts about us. And then now we need to learn, okay, well, they have thoughts about us. Now we need to learn the social rules for situations. Okay, so now we know that. Now we need to know about our body language and our physical body proximity and keeping our body in a group and why is that important. And then now we have to talk about, okay, your body's in the group, but now we got to talk about keeping our brain in the group, right? And once we get all those things established, That's going to be a great segue to then talk about asking questions and follow-up questions, making on-topic comments, nonverbal cues and emotions using your body, and then social inferencing and making smart guesses. So you're able to build on the skills. You're always going to talk about expected and unexpected behaviors and the social rules. But then as those are learned, you're going to be able to just address those things in a naturalistic way performance type of activities, right? So I hope this makes sense. So here, I'm going to tell you some ways that you can plan. So once you're really looking at your student, you're going, okay, 
these are the things that they're really struggling with in which areas you're going to go back to that acquisition performance and fluency piece. And then you're going to look at your hierarchy. You're going to go, okay, what is the most important thing that they need to learn right now that's going to build the foundation for future skills and future concepts that we're going to work on with them. Okay. So we're going to start there and then you're going to plan month by month. You're going to do expected and unexpected behavior. You know what I mean? And you're going to plan activities week by week that follow that theme or that skill. And, and and then you're going to go to the next month and, and pick the next thing on the hierarchy, or maybe you're going, you know what? They understand expected and unexpected, but we really need to spend some time in a, working on performance, performance of following the social rules. So maybe in August, you were working on the vocabulary for social language. And now in September, we're going to work on the performance pieces. And, you know, for example, if I was planning something for August for week one, it would be using your body to show people you are thinking about them. So this is, you know, talking about how we use our body to show people that we're thinking about them. Well, we stand closer to them. We walk over to them. Maybe we look at them with our eyes. So you can talk about all those pieces of how you use your body to show people you're thinking about them. And then week two is more of a performance activity to work on role-playing how to have active listening with your body. And then week three, you may define and role-play thinking of you questions. So week one was all about teaching that acquisition piece of, hey, our bodies are tools to show people that we're thinking about them. And I'm going to show you how that happens. Then week two is going to be a performance-based activity. We're going to role play actively listening with our body. And that means sitting quietly, turning our voice off when someone's talking, and then looking at them like we're interested, right? So you're going to be role playing that. And then once the kids get that down, it's time to actually think of questions that would be thinking about the other person. And so now we're building on, you know, those, those acquisition and performance skills from the last two weeks to then work on implementing those while asking questions about what the, the speaker wants to talk about. And, and then week four would be, you know, asking, thinking of you questions with peers. So you're building on that opportunity to practice, you know, keeping your mouth quiet when, it, when someone else is talking, looking at them. And then you're also incorporating asking questions that are interesting to somebody else. So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> It's hard when people can't ask you a question and you're just talking, talking, talking. So if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out to me on social media about this and, and I can always further explain. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a social skill structuring of a lesson. And then I think that'll be it for today. <laughs> so I think that's enough to marinate on, right? In another episode, I will share some ideas for social skill therapy lessons to give you some ideas for activities. But, you know, you can have a social skill planner where it's just, and this could be in your head. This doesn't, I don't sit around writing out lesson plans all the time because 
we don't have time. So I do have lesson plans, planner templates and stuff, and it's there as an exercise, um, for you when you do have time to think through. And, and a lot of times I'll use them when I have a really tough kid or, or a group, or I really just want to feel more organized, or I want to plan out a little ahead. It's worth the time to, to at least, scribble it down a little bit. So the planner just makes you feel a little bit more snazzy. I'll put a link to the SLP planner template in my show notes. So you're going to pick the skill targeted and then you're going to think about the materials that you need. So this could be a book, videos, what props you might need, you know, whatever you need for this activity, you're going to write that down or link it into your Google slides. So you have it all there ready to go. And then when you're planning therapy, you're going to have a warm up, and maybe the warm up is introducing the skill, reviewing something from last week or doing some little quick two to four minute activity just to get the kids ready to go, right? And then you're going to move into instruction and vocabulary review. And so this is the part where you're really hitting that acquisition piece. You're teaching them the skill that they need to have, you know, out in the real world, but we're doing it in a very direct teaching style way. So after you go over that, that might take maybe five minutes, you're going to do an application of the skills taught. And that's going to be an activity that you come up with to work on applying the skill in a situation. And then after that, you're going to do a closing review of the overall lesson. So this is where you check for understanding of the skill. Maybe you're going to point out what someone did during the lesson that was following the skill. And you may tell everyone, hey, we did this today. Next week, we're going to work on A, B, and C. So this is a framework for you so that every week when you're planning, you know that you have to fill in a warm-up activity, a vocabulary instruction, an application of the skill taught, and then a closing and review. And when you have a framework like that, it helps take the overwhelm away. Because a lot of times you're going, I mean, I, I've been in this situation where I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And it's so overwhelming because there's so many possibilities of what you could do, right? So this helps keep the framework. Okay, I have the vocabulary I'm going to review. I, I know what we can do. I have what we're going to role play. This week, I just need to come up with a warm-up. And this helps streamline your planning so you can quickly fill in the little box of whatever area you haven't planned yet. And so I'll give you a quick outline of what this might look like. So let's say we're, we want to talk about thinking with our eyes and how we use our eyes to look for clues about how people are feeling and to also send messages that we're thinking about them, right? So when you come into the classroom you can just stare off into space, stare off at the clock. And the kids can say, hey, Mrs. Clark, Mrs. Clark. And you maybe are ignoring them or you're looking away, you know, and they're going, what's going on? So that's your warm up. You're going to show them, hey, was I looking at you guys? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And they can say, no, you weren't. Or you could play a game. What is she thinking? Right. And that would, I'd probably put that in with the application of skills taught. 
But, you know, you can come up with a warm up like that. Then you're going to tell the kids, hey, guys, we're going to talk about thinking with our eyes today. I use my eyes all the time to look for clues about what other people could be thinking about. And, and that gives me clues for how to know what to talk about with them or, or to know what they're thinking about. And so you're going to review the vocabulary word thinking with your eyes, right? And then you're going to do the practical application part of the lesson where, you know, you let each student come up to be the volunteer and, and, and I'm going to do this a couple of times where I look at different things around the room. I'm going to say, I'm only going to use my eyes to, to tell you what I'm thinking about. And you guys have to figure it out. And so then I will look at different things around the room and the kids have to guess what I'm thinking about. And then I take volunteers and then with the closing, you know, review overall lesson, I'll ask the kids, well, what was, you know, Jeremiah thinking about when he came up? What was Mrs. Clark thinking? What was, you know, Samara thinking and, and that is, you know, tying in everything from the lesson. So I hope this was helpful. Again, we were talking about how to streamline and plan for your social skills students. If you have any questions at all, please email me at feliceclark at thedabblingspeech.com or reach out to me on social media at thedabblingspeechy and I would love to help answer any further questions. So as always, Rockstar SLPs, Remember to be the SLP that every kid wants to see and stay inspired. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye.